From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. This week, we've seen Australia's inflation moderate somewhat, but in economic terms, there will be more tough months ahead for households and for businesses. Meanwhile, the relationship between business and the Albanese government is somewhat scratchy. From the point of view of business, the government is delivering to the unions. Business is particularly critical of the government's industrial relations changes, those already made and those to come. Today, our guest is Andrew McKellar, the Chief Executive of the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, who joins us to give us a business take on the economy, issues concerning business and relations with the Albanese government. Aki describes itself as Australia's largest and most representative business network, saying it covers businesses of all shapes and sizes across all sectors. Its members are state and territory chambers of commerce and industry associations, and it has a council of leaders from individual enterprises. Andrew McKellar, let's start with the latest consumer price index figures out this week. The annual inflation rate is now 6%, slightly better than expected, but not great. What's your reaction to this? Well, Michelle, look, I think this is probably the best sign that we've had yet, that uh, those inflationary pressures are starting to ease away uh, in the economy. I think the quarterly figure itself uh, at an annualised rate, it's coming down to close to um, 3 3.2%, something like that. So I think that's the best indication that some of those more severe pressures are coming out of the the pipeline now. Uh, We've seen very significant increases in interest rates uh, over the past 12 months. There's no doubt that's having an impact. So getting the balance right from here, that's fundamental. Uh, We want to keep the economy as close as possible to full employment for as long as uh, possible. Uh, If we can do that without uh, too many further uh, interest rate increases, then I think uh, this this week's or this quarter's uh, inflation numbers are encouraging. Now, we know about the impact of the war in Ukraine and supply chain problems, but to what extent are high profits and some price gouging contributing to inflation, do you think? Well, not at all, I would say. Uh, I mean, I think here it's a very mixed uh, picture. So and I think you've got to listen carefully to what uh, you know um, important economic advisors like the Reserve Bank, uh, like the Treasury have been saying on this uh, because uh, it is very much a two-speed economy. So the sectors that have been doing well, particularly um, mining and resources, uh, yes, they have been making good profits. Uh, on the back of higher commodity prices, but that is not something that is adding back into inflation. It's not a situation of uh, you know um, profit taking or price gouging on the part of business more generally. Because if you look at other sectors in the economy, if you look at manufacturing, if you look at uh, construction, if you look at retail, if you look at all of these uh, sectors, uh, you know, and particularly for small business, they are struggling. Um, it is very much a two-speed uh, economy in that regard, and that is not adding. Um, back into inflation. And I think the Reserve Bank's been very clear on that point. Well, the bank also makes the point that uh, wages, while it worries about them a, a bit in the future, have not been contributing to inflation. Do you agree with that? Well, I think where we see uh, wage outcomes, uh, you know, three and a half uh, up to 4%, that hasn't been a major concern. What will be a concern is if we see wages uh, persistently 
higher than that. And uh, I think this is where, you know, with the uh, annual wage review recently in the Fair Work uh, Commission, our concern was that in terms of what was being set at the bottom end uh, of the award spectrum, if that flows through, if that becomes the standard, uh, if you have higher increases uh, above 5%, etc., uh, then the risk is um, if that becomes embedded, then it will start to add into inflation. And if we don't have the offsetting productivity growth at the same time, then I think that becomes uh, quite a, a dangerous uh, cocktail. The bank meets again next week. Mm. Are you expecting another rate rise? Well, we, we, we hope not at this point. I mean, I think our urging will be to the Reserve Bank to really be cautious uh, about this. You know, I think uh, they've done a lot um, in the past 12 months. And the other thing I have to say here is it's not clear uh, that further interest rate increases at this point in time are really going to help. In fact, they could risk going the other way. And that's because much of the pressure now um, is on the supply side. Uh, I think what they've done already has taken a lot of the heat out of that sort of discretionary area of expenditure in the economy. We're seeing that softening. Higher interest rates are not going to boost supply in the economy. So do you think that uh, we should have reached the peak of rate rises now, that uh, there should be nothing more later this year? Well, we should be very close. I mean, I think ultimately, of course, that will be a decision that the Reserve Bank uh, will have to scrutinise very carefully. I don't think we can say uh, that we're completely uh, out of the woods. we're seeing internationally, you know, inflation pressures are, are easing, uh, if anything, more rapidly than expected. Uh, um, the, the number that's been released uh, this week is a, a very positive indication, but I don't think we could say that there won't be any further interest rate pain uh, in the near future. But in terms of what should happen, do you think that we've reached the limit? Look, I, I think we're very close to it. I think uh, really, you know, it, it is, um, you know, stinging uh, a lot uh, for many people uh, in the economy. They are, it is affecting uh, consumption decisions. It's affecting small businesses uh, in, you know, their ability to respond. And I think at this point, um, you know, we've got to take heed of uh, those pressures. In general, how do you see the prospects of the economy and for businesses within the economy between now and the end of the year? Well, look, I think uh, on this, uh, I would say, um, you know, we're we're in a position where there are risks, uh, but uh, the labour market in particular has been surprisingly uh, resilient. We remain, you know, at or beyond uh, full employment, and those are exceptional uh, circumstances. We want to see that continue for as long as uh, possible. Uh, You know, if the Reserve Bank was to go uh, much further or much harder on interest rates, then I think there's a risk that that could tip the economy uh, into a situation where we had a per capita uh, um, recession. But I think at this point, um, we can avoid that, uh, which possibly a few months ago, um, we would have been more pessimistic. Uh, I think another uh, issue here is, uh, I think we've seen the government this week uh, with a much um, or confirmation of its um, surplus for the past financial year. And I think they've been responsible by saying at this point they're not going to splash further uh, cash to try and prop up the economy or to try and take uh, pressure off cost of living. They're going to uh, bank most of that dividend, take it back to reduce debt. So I think they've been responsible not to uh, add to that um, uh, you know, pressure that could be on the Reserve Bank to in- increase uh, interest rates uh, much further. 
Just on the labour market, it is incredibly tight. We've got the um, employment white paper coming down later in the year. What would you like to see out of that white paper? What changes in labour market policy are needed? Well, I think there's a couple of things here. I mean, uh, very very much uh, here the focus has got to be on how do we drive a renewed agenda uh, for productivity and for labour productivity. So uh, really getting that uh, skills and training and education uh, part of the equation uh, right, uh, that is absolutely fundamental. I think we've been very fortunate uh, that we've been able to reduce uh, the presence of uh, you know, long-term unemployment uh, in the economy uh, in recent years. We've got to maintain that benefit and that uh, dividend. Uh, of course, in the future, the ability to connect people who are out of work uh, with um, work opportunities, uh, designing employment services uh, around that, uh, getting that right uh, across all sectors, including uh, the disability uh, areas, uh, then that's that's fundamental. Is that so, going badly at the moment? Uh, look, I think there's been a disconnect, and I think uh, ensuring that uh, uh, you know um, people with disabilities uh, have full opportunity um, to enter the workforce, and that employment services uh, that they're connected to mainstream employment services, which is where employers typically go. Um, that's that's going to be an important part of the policy equation going forward. I'll get to productivity in more detail in a minute. But first, just on the Reserve Bank, we are about to get a new governor starting her job, Michelle Bullock, and we're about to get significant changes in the bank's operations and and structure. Do you think that uh, business is supportive of these Reserve Bank changes? Uh, Absolutely. And I think they are a step in the right direction. There's no doubt Michelle Bullock uh, is a good appointment. All of the candidates that were mentioned uh, were very good. But uh, look, undoubtedly, Michelle Bullock uh, brings that uh, wealth of experience uh, in economics, in monetary policy. She knows how the bank works. She knows what the bank has to do. And I, I think in terms of the reform agenda, making the bank, uh, you know, work more effectively, ensure uh, its independence, uh, bringing that expertise uh, into the board, ensuring that the board takes the time to weigh the decisions uh, and communicate with all of the stakeholders, then I think uh, you know, that's uh, you know, well set up uh, to strengthen the confidence in the bank uh, going forward. What do you think about this proposal that votes on the board should be made public, not the uh, revelation of particular names about uh, the votes on interest rate changes, but the numbers on the pro and anti sides? Well, I think transparency uh, in the decision-making processes of the Reserve Bank uh, is important. I don't think that's the most uh, critical change. I think understanding uh, more um, the, the factors that are driving a decision as to whether or not to change interest rates uh, or not, that's the important thing. I think having a very clear understanding as to factors that are influencing the decision, that's the most important thing. What's your opinion of how Phil Lowe has conducted uh, the job in recent times? There's been obviously a lot of criticism of him, but do you think he's been demonised? Is that criticism fair? Uh, look, uh, I mean, I think it's important not to shoot the messenger uh, with these things. Uh, you know, Phil Lowe has been for a long while um, a very professional central banker. Um, he's well qualified. He's knowledgeable in the role. Okay, sure. Some of the messaging 
uh, I think was uh, either misinterpreted or miscommunicated. And of course, uh, at the end of the day, um, he has to uh, wear that responsibility. So uh, look, the, the government's made its decision. And I think the important thing is there's a clear agenda for the bank moving forward. Um, it will be a reformed institution. And I think business uh, broadly is uh, right behind the direction of those reforms. To return to productivity, Jim Chalmers has just announced a new chair of the Productivity Commission. Chris Barrett, with whom uh, he worked way back when in Wayne Swan's office, Chalmers wants the commission to change its focus. Now, you've welcomed Barrett's appointment. Do you agree that the Productivity Commission does need to refocus and what do you expect? Well, the Productivity Commission um, is an incredibly important uh, institution uh, and advisory body uh, to government. Uh, So I think it's important that it is putting forward a contemporary, uh, ambitious agenda for productivity uh, reform, for productivity growth. Uh, And, you know, there's some very important work that the Commission's done uh, very recently. And I would encourage the government to take that work uh, seriously. Uh, I don't think we can diminish in any way um, the significance of what it's produced uh, earlier this year in terms of its five-year productivity inquiry. So that that will be on, in, in the intro for Chris Barrett when he comes in. Except that's been pushed aside a bit by the government. Well, and, I, and honestly, I think we would urge the government not to push it aside. I think we would urge them to have a look at uh, a number of the key recommendations uh, there uh, because it is an important agenda. So, look, we, we have full confidence that uh, Chris Barrett, he's eminently qualified for the role, Um, The Productivity Commission has an important role to play. We've heard some uh, stakeholders uh, calling for its abolition. Uh, That's completely um, wrong-headed thinking. Uh, And I think it's important here. Of course, it has to evolve. Um, You know, the reform agenda now is not the same as it was uh, 25 or 30 years ago. It's not even the same as it was uh, 10 years ago. But, you know, I think we've seen a period uh, where there hasn't been a strong reform agenda Um, this government has to make a choice. It can make a difference. Uh, And I think if it wants to live up to some of the expectations, when you look back at some of the positive things that have been done by governments uh, of uh, either persuasion uh, in the past, whether it be Hawke and Keating, whether it be Howard and Costello, uh, then I think, uh, you know, having that strong impartial advice, uh, looking at taking on some of those challenges, making some unpopular decisions at times, uh, but trying to build a consensus around, uh, you know, what will drive productivity growth, uh, that's sorely needed in Australian public policy. Well, we know it's in the doldrums. What will drive productivity growth? What are two or three big things that you think should be addressed? Well, I think uh, clearly, and I think on this uh, issue, the Treasurer is right, you know, so the, the energy uh, agenda, the energy transition, um, we have to have, uh, you know, um, secure Uh, affordable and sustainable energy supply in Australia. Um, That's a key area of reform. Uh, So undoubtedly, uh, that that is a a key thing, and and all options should be on the table there. Our infrastructure... Including nuclear? Oh, look, I don't think it can be ruled out. I mean, those sorts of things, uh, I think it would be pointless to say that uh, it's off the table. Uh, If it works, uh, if it's affordable, um, then it should be considered. That's not to say that um, the decision... Uh, is made or should be made, but it should be certainly um, all options on the table. Our our infrastructure, particularly our transport infrastructure, um, significant investment uh, required there. 
um, our labour force skills, um, you know, training, um, you know, making sure that we've got the skills to take on those uh, smart jobs uh, in the future. Flexibility, so industrial relations, and I think here, you know, the Productivity Commission has flagged some uh, issues on this, and I do think there's a concern that the agenda that the government is currently pursuing is taking us in the wrong direction in that space. Let's talk about uh, industrial relations. Business has been very critical of the government in this area. Most recently, the government has outlined a measure to make it easier for casuals to become permanent employees. This initiative has been criticised by business, but it sounds reasonable enough. What's the problem? Well, look, I think you know, that's one, one of the areas, and I think here, uh, firstly, there is already a pathway uh, for conversion. Uh, from casual to permanent uh, employment, if if that's uh, you know uh, what suits the employee and what suits the business, uh, we think that uh, there is an issue around the change in the test to that, and particularly the uncertainty that that can create for smaller businesses. So, I think that's one issue. But really, there are a number of points. So, whether it be on uh, labour hire, um, service contracting, the ability uh, for companies uh, for employers uh, to uh, you know, engage um, labour in those uh, circumstances. Uh, you know, we think that's that's an issue. Um, independent uh, contracting, so-called employee-like arrangements, how that's going to be applied. Uh, the situation uh, in road transport. Um, uh, also, we don't want to see a reversion back uh, to past arrangements there that uh, really made it much more difficult for independent contractors, for owner drivers uh, to compete effectively in that space. So look, I think here, you know, there's a broad range of concerns that business has. We're obviously trying to work through those issues with government behind the scenes. Um, we know that they will introduce legislation in the coming weeks uh, and we have a, you know, a process to go through uh, with government and with the parliament in the coming months uh, before that will be uh, really put to the test. Just on those behind the scenes consultations, there's been some criticism, I think, coming from uh, sections of business that uh, you're constrained from making public comments in, in some detail because of confidentiality agreements. Is that a problem for you? Look, I think I'm very reluctant to criticise the consultation process uh, because I think that's that's a cheap shot to some extent. You know, I think the reality is, uh, as, as I've spoken to the minister on these points, uh, you know, what I've seen is he's engaged uh, and he is making some changes. Um, are they all the changes that business would want? They're certainly not. Uh, but I think here, you know, we, we have to be strong in our advocacy. We're not going to be held back uh uh, we're not going to be restrained in that uh, process. We, we have a role to play. Uh, and equally, you know, the government's got to weigh all the different views that are put in front of it. So I think let's have a robust uh, debate. Um, you know, let's focus on the substance uh, rather than the process uh, ex excessively. Um, and I think hopefully then, you know, if, we, if we're um, focused on those things, then we'll get a better outcome. So you found Minister Tony Burke pretty okay to deal with? Oh, look, we've had some good discussions and I've been in meetings, I've seen him listening, I've seen him engaging on the detail, so I'm not criticising him for that in any way, shape or form. Do we agree wholeheartedly on the conclusions that he's reached on every issue? We don't. And I think business has every right to put forward you know, arguments that will help people to employ 
uh, more people uh, to um, achieve the flexibility they need and ultimately get the productivity and the you know stronger real wages that will support better living standards uh, for Australians because uh, you know that's good business ultimately. Is there a risk of business in uh, the IR area calling wolf too often? Look, I think I think you have to be measured, and I think here sometimes, of course, uh, you know, there's a rhetorical debate, and that's part of the the public and policy communication uh, process. So uh, we don't want to diminish uh, our credibility as business advocates by over-egging the omelette, um, and we've got to be careful uh, on that point. But uh, where we see risks and where we see things that uh, are taking us uh, potentially in the wrong direction uh, on policy, then I think uh, it's quite legitimate to you know have that uh, debate in a pretty uh, robust uh, way. And I don't, I don't think anyone's uh, shying away from that. Andrew McKellar, thank you very much for talking with the Conversations Politics podcast today. We'll be back with another interview soon. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. Goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevear. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.